Welcome to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting. Technology. It's ubiquitous in our lives, and it's going to continue to be ubiquitous in the lives of our children. How new parents can safely navigate that is the topic of today's episode, and I couldn't be happier to welcome Pete Dunlap to the show. Pete is a software engineer and the founder of Digital Detangler, a digital well-being initiative. He helps organizations and individuals understand where their time with technology is going and how they can use tools to nudge themselves in a healthier direction. We know that with children under two, it needs to be limited. For learning, it's best when parents watch with them and then reinforce what's being learned. During today's wide-ranging conversation, Pete and I discuss being together but absent, the tragic event that led to his starting Digital Detangler, and why ultimately, when it comes to technology, the kids are going to be all right. Why don't we start with, for those who don't know, kind of who I'm here with today. What is your name? So my name is Pete Dunlap, and I believe I'm here because I'm the founder of Digital Detangler. And uh, what I do primarily is try and help people put their values and their technology use in line. Okay. For a lot of people, that's a challenge. And that's a huge challenge for young parents like myself. So I have a three-year-old daughter and um, another baby on the way. So I'm well-versed in this. In fact, recently, uh, my daughter was, she watches TV and she gets to watch one episode each day. And I had just finished watching an episode of my show. And she came in and she said, it's time to turn it off. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, so to some extent, like I'm indoctrinating my daughter. (laughs) So you're a uh, software developer by trade. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 36 years old. Yeah. 36 years old, software developer, primarily web development, if that means anything to you. So anything that's not an app on your phone, but it is an app that you go to in a browser. So that's what I've been doing for about eight years. So how did you get to, uh, give us the backstory here. How did you get to be uh, Pete Dunlap, Digital Detangler? Yeah. So kind of a long story, but uh, I started out in software working at a startup and then I worked at an agency. And then uh, while I was at the agency, my wife and I were trying to get pregnant. And so we spent, we were pushing two years um, trying to get pregnant. And that's a very intense, stressful process. Um, it's For some people, it's so easy. They just think about getting pregnant, they get pregnant. That was not our experience. And so we were kind of trying to try anything. And so one night I sort of suggested to my wife, like, we're spending too much time on our devices. We need to spend less time on them. So we started this thing where we were spending an hour a day of personal time connected to devices. And outside of that, we weren't on any devices. And an hour sounds like a lot, but it's like not at all. Yeah. When you think about like most of our evenings, we were sitting with a laptop, TV, phone. And so by the second night, it was like, what are we going to do? And then on the weekend days, we gave ourselves two and a half hours. So you could still watch a movie, right? but like one. <laughs> and so by the end of a month, we were pregnant. And so by no stretch of the imagination, do I think like, oh, like if you're having trouble getting pregnant, like just stop using yeah. your phone. Uh, yeah. Um, but I do think it, it for me underlined that most of us underestimate the way that technology is is changing yeah, our yeah. lives yeah. and impacting us. And so, so we finally got pregnant and that was very exciting. We were extraordinarily excited and it was a completely perfect, normal pregnancy up until 24 hours before our daughter was born in which my wife went into labor. We went to the hospital and they were unable to find a heartbeat. And so that was really a life-changing moment for me, certainly for my wife. In part, like I, it's it's like you're in this like nether world where it's almost like if you just didn't know the information, everything's still normal, but it's like not something you can unknow. And so I had to call everyone because people were already gathering in town to welcome this. This is on my side, the first grandbaby. And, so, and where is this? so this is uh, 2016. So I was probably 32. And so we had to grapple with that. That was horrible. <laughs> And really stressful for me, really stressful for my wife. Um, It's a whole difficult grieving process. And, um, you know, like, I don't know how much you want me to to share, but, you know, like one of the big things immediately they tell you is you should spend time with the baby. And that's my first instinct was like, no way. 
And thank goodness that these nurses prodded us because um, looking back For on you those as moments, the parents, yes, as exactly, parents, yeah, right. Like to to know that this happened. And to experience it was really important for us to be able to start to understand what happened and to start to integrate it into our lives, as opposed to kind of just like, Boop, you know, like you were going down this, this one reality and all of a sudden it shifted. I think as much as possible, you need to like understand that moment. It's tough to try and understand what that moment might be like. To go from knowing you're going to have a child one moment to losing that child the next is heartbreaking for a family. And processing this for myself, I wanted to know more about how this could have happened. So no one really knows. You know, people people suggest that something with the cord happened, right? But there's no, like, 100% sure this is what happened. And when you have problems in utero, basically the solution, and, you know, I'm obviously, like, kind of riffing uh, on medical knowledge, but, like, the solution is cut the baby out. Right. That's why people have emergency C-sections while baby is in you. They can basically do almost nothing for them. And yeah, we were totally healthy all in the lead up. And what I've learned, too, since is um, it's very difficult for them to know if something's wrong. Like even with our with our current daughter who's living, who's three when we were pregnant with her, it was so stressful. We were constantly going and getting extra scans and extra ultrasounds and extra, um, they, they do this monitoring where they like check for movement within 15 minutes. They check for this within 15 minutes, but uh, they check the heartbeat continually, but it's actually very much not a like cut and dry science. Like they have recommendations. This is what you do. If we haven't seen this in this period of time, maybe your baby's asleep. Maybe yeah. your baby's like a really good sleeper, or maybe like your baby is in distress and like your baby's, you, we need to get you to the hospital immediately. But so it was helpful for us, or at least I can speak for myself, to go through that process and see that this is not something that is like easy for doctors to predict or easy yeah. for them to understand and for them to be sure. Absolutely. There are stories out there of people who felt, you know, some premonition that something was wrong. They went to the hospital immediately, their baby was removed and they were okay. But then there's all sorts of stories. There are stories of people who their baby was without oxygen for some period of time and therefore affected by that. There are stories of people who had emergency C-sections who probably didn't need emergency C-sections. It runs the gamut, but it's very much, and it, and it also put into perspective for me within the same period of time, a couple months later, maybe actually, actually, I think it was a couple months before my dad's cancer came back. He has um, melanoma and it's very much like both of those events really put you in touch with that there are limits to what we know about our own bodies yeah. and about how things work. And um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it brings to mind, there was a moment in um, Downton Abbey where I can't remember Sybil or something. One of the, one of the daughters is pregnant and she's having a baby and she dies of eclampsia. And the dad at one point, so this is like in the 1918s or something or 1918, and the dad shouts kind of at the doctor, like, with all of our medical knowledge, like, this is the best you can do. And it's like, absolutely. Every person who's ever lived basically has lived in the most technology yeah. advanced period. Right. And it can give you this sense that we're limitless. But in fact, it's an illusion. <laughs> we're less limited than our grandparents, maybe, in some sense. But we're pretty still locked into the human experience and these bodies and how they work and what they are capable of and what they're not capable of. Do you think any of this happens, your current vocation, uh, let's say, if this doesn't happen with your daughter, if this doesn't happen with your dad? I mean, these these things that you're saying, these reflections oh, you're having. Oh, would I have started Digital Bleach Hangler? Would I have? Yeah, um, definitely not. For sure not. I don't know what I'd be doing. When I was preparing for this interview, I wasn't aware of what had happened in Pete's life before starting Digital Detangler. I just thought he was a smart guy working to wean people off of technology, and it turned out his connection was much deeper than that. So where did Pete's relationship with technology begin? For me, it's I've always been someone who's who's enjoys technology and is good at technology, but I've always been a late adopter. Like I all of my friends had cell phones and and were texting from high school, if not middle school on. And I resisted. I graduated college. My last semester of college, I was studying abroad and they made me get a phone because like they need to be able to call you when they're in it, when you're in a foreign country. Yeah. But I, I was very resistant because I think for me, 
you can see the effects, you can see how things change. Even like when people were AIMing each other and when Facebook first came out, there's a difference in your experience. There's something new that's possible, but it comes with new kind of downsides right. as well. Right. Well, and I should say, of all, not throwing shade on any of the other guests we've had, because I've, I've loved talking t- about uh, in terms of early childhood challenges, you know, food and stress management and self-care and creativity. But this is the thing that really feels most pressing and, and relevant to me uh, and, and is really kind of the, the, the focal point for our conversation today is how do you safely navigate technology with your newborns and, and how do you not, I mean, what, what happens when you, when you have a child, it, it meets its mother, it meets its father, and then it meets its iPhone with the first photo. <laughs> and it's, I mean, that's kind of yeah, how yeah, it feels yeah, yeah. in a way. And it's, right. it's how do parents not let technology sort of become a focal point in their journey with their child? Well, the first thing I'll say is the reason people hand their kids iPads and, and, and phone, smartphones is because they're, they're really effective. Right. Like, like, and, and the child, but yeah. yeah. And like, give me 10 minutes. I need to take a shower. There are a lot of moments in becoming a parent where like literally you're used to in a, in a loving committed relationship, you're used to this experience of like, man, I had a tough day at work. Like I need to lean on you. I need to complain about my boss or whoever to you. Um, and then you do the same for the other person. But once you have a baby, like there's just moment after moment of you being like, I need help. And the other person's like, I need help. Yeah. And it's often like, I literally need to go to the bathroom. And it's like, sorry, it's yeah. not your moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- there's a there's a relentlessness to it that is extremely overwhelming. And so I think for a lot of people, there's this sense of like escape in, in your phone. And that's whether or not you're a parent. There's that sense of limitlessness and I can escape kind of my, 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 what has become quite boring daily experience. No one consciously spends five hours on Instagram or TikTok, whatever it is. So there's a couple things. One is that the reason we are so on our devices all the time and yet hate it is that there's tremendously powerful and interesting content all Mm -hmm. the time. Even like right now, like we're, we're on a podcast, like there's some other better podcast out there. Like there's that felt rude. <laughs> like there is a better. I say this during my talks. Like there's someone who's articulating this better than me. Like there's a YouTube video out there. There's some TikTok. There's something out there that's better than what's happening right now. It is limitless. And you're missing it. Yeah. By being here. And and so there's a piece of you that that is always like, what else is out there? And to me, it's almost like permeated such that even when I see something funny. Right. Like when I see, I saw a woman the other day with a shirt that said, my favorite memory of childhood was when my back didn't hurt. And it's like, that's hilarious, but it's less funny than it used to be. And, and I think it's less funny because like, I can see hilarious things all the time yeah. on the internet. Yeah. But why this happened, I think is important to understand. And there are a handful of things that came together to produce the world we live in today. The first thing is that in 1998, at, uh, at Yahoo, they were paying people to read the entire internet and categorize every web page according to the content inside of it. As you know, Google won that war. And the reason Google won that war is they figured out that instead of reading everything, if we just take what links to you and use that as a proxy for how important you are, or how relevant you are, then we can get to the bottom of, you know, what do you expect to see? And that's the first instance, but in every application you go to, basically every social media platform, engagement or popularity, as I would call it, is the number one metric that organizes information. Keeping you scrolling. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, And it's also, the thing is, the algorithms are such that it doesn't matter if you're outraged or if you're happy and feel good inside. As long as you hover over something, as long as you almost click on something or click on the thing or comment on the thing or like the thing, whatever it is, any interaction gets recorded and digested back into the algorithm. And so over time, like these platforms get more and more compelling. But with that comes the con of organizing information based on popularity, right? If you want to know how many inches are in a foot, there's not a lot of like 13 inch foot truthers out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like the popular answer is the correct answer. Yes. But as time has shown, <laughs> if you want to know, like, should I be vaccinated? It's like, whoa, there's some popular ideas <laughs> yeah. that are not necessarily well um, supported. Mm-hmm. 
but they are still out there and they're still gaining traction because we've organized information on the basis of popularity. But the second big thing that happened other than organizing information on the basis of popularity is that we started using the internet to entertain ourselves, right? So that's Facebook, that's internet connected gaming, uh, MySpace, all these things. And once that happened, you know, I mean, if you remember like in the early days of the internet, it was like thing that librarians wanted to talk to you about. And then I remember doing assignments where it was like, you can have two sources from the internet, but you have to have three sources from real books. Yeah. Yeah. You had that dynamic where it was like this dusty thing that librarians wanted to talk, talk to you about the internet. Um, But once we started doing social activities online, it was really like, whoa, this is amazing. Wow. E-bombs world. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like I remember being in college and for the first time kind of standing up for my laptop two hours later and just being like, what did I do? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I don't know, but I know some things about uh, Billie Holiday that I didn't know before. <laughs> so that is absolutely huge. But the downside of entertaining ourselves with technology is that it creates what I call bore dimensions, right? So like a Fortnite is a very popular game with kids. That's an example of bore dimension. It's so good that the rest of your life starts to be boring. And then, you know, for, for a lot of us, email is that, or social media is that, and we try and keep up with it all and we can't. And what I tell people, because sometimes it's like, well, what is a boredom engine? Oh, yeah, here's a boredom engine. If you're doing something on technology and you start to need to use the bathroom, if you don't go to the toilet, (laughs) it's a boredom engine. We have a problem. Yeah, Yeah. it's a boredom engine. And just there's so much interesting content out there. There's so much interesting stuff that and then the other way is if you're sitting on the toilet and you start engaging in an activity with technology, like that's also a boredom engine. Yes. So that's, that's the second thing. Then the third big thing that happened is smartphones, right? Like at all times you can have access to that interesting stuff. And so there's not even a time in which you go to a restaurant and you're not able to, I mean, you could be on a Tinder date. You can look at other people on Tinder who, who maybe look better than your Tinder date does in person. And Pete, I have done that. Right. So that's like it. And, and, and to my mind, what that creates is this sense of absence. We're together and yet we're absent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's happening inside of families. Oh, right? my God. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's really, really hard for people. And it can lead to this sense of like you're being rejected. But like there's some logical sense to the rejection. Like, of course, I'm not as interesting as the Internet. But part of, I think, what we need to empower people to do is to set aside time when, like, I'm with my family. I'm caring about you. I know there's cool, better stuff. Some, like, for example, on TikTok or, um, excuse me, Snapchat or Instagram, like some of it is time boxed. It's going to be gone when I go to my to my phone later. But I'm, I'm going to sacrifice that to be present with you. Well, so this is, you're bringing up something that that really gets to anecdotally why I wanted to speak with you is because I've read that uh, for, you know, because this is a, I sleep great, a non-parent's guide to parenting is a podcast for new parents. And I had read about parents who felt this sense of sadness where they would be bonding with their new baby. Maybe they're, they were breastfeeding or something, or they were just with their child and they would be on their phone. And they would, after like 20 minutes, they would look and like the child would be looking. I keep saying the child. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the exhibit, no. Uh, the, <laughs> but the baby would be looking up at them and there would be right. the sense of, according to these stories out here, like forlornness of like, oh my God, I'm missing bonding time with my child. So we're talking about families, but what about like, I'm interested in this from, uh, in terms of babies and adults. Let's start with the adults, the new parents, like that's a scary thing, right? To, right. to oh, yeah, be yeah. missing out on your, and, and to the point <laughs> yeah, of like yeah. having a new, fa- you know, these new parents and taking photos, like it's, it's wonderful. I think that the parents want to be snapping photos of their yeah. babies and, and putting right. them on Instagram, but that's also kind of like sad in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Help it's me. Complicated. Help me. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's complicated. Um, there's a couple of things I should say. First, over time, parents are spending more time with their children. So that's a positive thing. Like parents today spend much more time, particularly men, spend more time with their infants than they did in the past. And that's great. 
What I'm concerned about is the kind of distracted while you're with your kids. And that is ubiquitous in my, in my personal experience and in my uh, experience of just like living my life and looking at other people. But the other thing is there was an uptick in injuries for kids below the age of five. There was an economist in California who did this study because when smartphones came out, they couldn't just like turn it on for everyone because people were going to start using much more data than they had previously. So they had to upgrade the network. So they could look at a county by county basis and there was an uptick in injuries for children under five. And that's because people had a smartphone. There's yeah. all of a sudden something else to do when you're at a playground with your kid. Yeah. And so I would say like absolutely it has impacts in terms of how much attention we pay to our children. I would say it's da it's a dangerous road too to criticize young parents because like there are so many messages about what you should and shouldn't be doing, right? Um, as a young parent. And, you know, I've taken to, in certain cases, like I don't even know what they're supposed to know. Like we, we had a checkup with my, uh, with my daughter's preschool and they were like, yeah, she's great on shapes, doesn't know about ovals. And I was like, oh my gosh, are ovals a thing? Like I should have been on this. And it's like, no, whatever. Like, yeah. She doesn't know what ovals, she'll, she'll catch on at some point. But I gotta say, I ended up learning about ovals and it didn't pay off. <laughs> it, it hasn't, it, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't paid off yet. Yeah. So just to couch this and to say, there's a lot of pressure on parents and there's a lot of pressure to be the perfect parent and to always be there and to supply everyone need they could possibly imagine. So first I'd say, give yourself a break. The second thing though, that I think is really important is you didn't create the world in which like your device is constantly beckoning you, but it's not true that you have nothing you can do to change that. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of things, some things that are great that have come out. Um, for example, Apple devices now come installed with the, uh, screen time feature. So you can mm -hmm. set limits on apps. Digital well-being is what Android calls it. And so there are ways to actually, you know, time box or just set limits on how long you spend on apps. I think that's really, really useful. And then I also think having a conversation with your, with your partner and talking about how technology is going to be integrated into your lives and then also into the child's life is really, really crucial. The Academy of Pediatrics is very like anti-tech when you're quite young. And they have very good reason for that. So that's absolutely the case. I think once you turn five, they're like, okay, you know, like you can watch a little bit. Um, and maybe even, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, but I think at 18 months or, or two years, they start to say half hours. Okay. Yeah. But, but when you look closely at what they recommend, they recommend you as the parents watch Sesame Street with them and talk to them about what they just watched on Sesame Street. And so there's, it's actually not as easy as like, you do get to park your kid in front of Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. It's fine for a half hour. But certainly there's some benefit to these pro-social positive children's shows. But parking your kid in front of YouTube is actually like a terrible idea, yes. I would argue. Because the algorithm is, is kind of patched over from the one that like, gets us. Yeah, all riled <laughs> up. All riled up, yeah. right, exactly. So that's a piece. The other thing I would say, as much as possible, particularly with older kids, once they start to reason and argue with you, which happens quite young, yeah. um, is to actually set up the environment that they're in and kind of almost dictate the rules of how you use technology as a product of the environment. So for example, you can buy an outlet timer at Lowe's or Home Depot for five bucks right? And then it automatically turns off the power to your modem or yeah. the power to your wi thing that projects your Wi-Fi. You can do that. And then at 10 PM, at 8 PM, whenever you decide every night, your internet turns off and then your internet turns back on in the morning. And that costs five bucks. If you want to spend a hundred to $200, there are products out there, Disney circle. There are things that Xfinity will do for you. Now, let me, let me ask you how, uh, it's hard to cut you off, but like how effective are, obviously it depends case by case, but like how effective are measures like these? This reminds me of like, you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm the type of guy that's going to set my clock five minutes faster so that I'm always punctual <laughs> places. And it's like, Hey, I'm too smart. I well, always, know, I yeah, always know exactly. the real time or right, like, Oh, right. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to put my phone on, on grayscale so that I'm not yeah, as stimulated exactly. by the colors. And then after a while, it's like, well, I'm still on my phone a lot. So let's just get back to the colors. Like how, you know, I guess what I'm asking is if someone yeah. takes these measures, won't they, won't the determination of the human spirit find a way to, <laughs> right, to, right, right. to get around, around it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's complicated. I mean, I would say I would prefer to like fight 
even if I can't win the war or something. Yeah. Um, I would prefer to, or I think you have a fighting chance if you do some things versus if you do nothing. Or like there's even just human stuff. Like I, I knew a, a middle school principal who he puts his phone on top of the refrigerator. So someone calls him, he hears it, but um, he's not constantly on his phone because it's not within reach. So there's like all these little things that I think taken together can help you live kind of a healthier balance. But for me, there's something like so sad about or what you're saying about that forlorn moment where you realize that you're spending time in a way you didn't decide to spend time. Yeah. And, and that's, that's sad. And, and I think about, I'm not going to get this quote right, but I think about all the time when like, when it comes to your phone and you're trying to wean yourself off technology, it's not a fair fight because think about all the people on the other side of that screen, all the developers right, and, right. and the mark and like the people whose job it is, is to keep you on that phone. That's a battle you're not going to win. Do you, right. what, what, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I think, and, and I think it's like, it's so good that all you can do is limit your access. Right. The other thing that is a big piece of all this. So there's plenty of studies, for example, with social media. Right. If you make people use less social media, they report being happier. They report being less stressed, less depressed, less anxious. All that's real. But you were talking about the forlornness and I was sort of saying, yeah, that forlornness is and probably feeling like it's a one on one fight, but it's really not like the the deck is stacked against you. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The deck is stacked against you. And for a lot of people, this is the, this is the thing that frustrates me is a lot of people view it as personal problem. I'm having a problem with my significant other because they're on their phone too much. Well, so is every other significant other in the uh -huh. entire world right now. Or they think I'm going to convince these idiots on Twitter that they're wrong. Yeah. And it's like, actually the very thing that makes you think you need to have the same argument that's been had for 20 years is this process of being shown content that is incites some reaction out of you. So I think from my point of view, a big piece of that is kind of limiting access. How much am I going to let myself be a part of this and participate in this? And there are other things you can do. For example, you can use, there's this Chrome extension called Stylebot. You can actually remove sections of websites. So for, for example, I always remove, um, if I go to YouTube, there's no what's up next. I just like removed it. Interesting. And it's like a one click, you know, you, you open it, you click on the thing you want to get rid of, you click hide. And that's really powerful because you don't get lost down that rabbit hole. Or if you want to have Facebook, but you don't want to scroll through the timeline, you can remove the whole timeline. And so ah. there, there are ways, because for a lot of people, it's like, well, I need to sell things on Facebook Marketplace. Or there's this, you know, group I'm a part of that always organizes their events on Facebook. And so it's not like, it's very much we're often told it's like, there's this idea that you're either tech person or you're not. You yes. Luddite. And to me, it's more like, what are you trying to get out of this? Yes. Right. What are you trying to get out of Facebook? I do enjoy the fact that I can look up people. You were asking me about someone before the show. Like I can figure it out. It's going to take a minute, but I can figure it out. In the past, those people just disappeared. But absolutely, there are, there are these benefits. And it's all about like, how can I use this as a tool? Because it's very rare that you meet someone who's spending like an extra 60 hours a week. Like it's not that uncommon to find a kid playing 60 hours of video games a week. Like that happens. Really? It's not super common, yeah. but like um, something like, I think the, the average for kids who spend more than, let's see, more than an hour a day is something like 5.6 hours a day. And so there are like roughly 9% of, of teenagers have this like issue where they are playing massive amounts of video games. And so there's this dichotomy of like, if I wanted to get a job, like another job and work like 36 hours a week at it or whatever, I would have a conversation with my family. Like, hey, what do you think about this? And so I think it's important that we start that with our families and say, hey, we're going to go into this with eyes wide open. We're going to look and see how it goes. I tell parents the same thing about smartphones, because at some point your kid's probably going to be like 11 and they're going to be like, I need a smartphone. I need mm -hmm. an iPhone. And your first reaction is going to be like, no, or you're going to be like, yeah, here's one. Yeah. <laughs> like depends who you are. But I would, I would caution people to say there are a lot of options, right? There's something which is sitting right here, like a Relay Go, um, which doesn't even have a screen. And so you can use this just to get in touch with your parent. It's like a walkie talkie for your parent. 
then you can go up to, there's something called the Gab phone. And the Gab phone looks, feels just like a smartphone, but it's very limited mm -hmm. in what it can do. You can also actually go into Google Family as kind of Google's offering. And then parental controls is what it's called on, on iOS devices. But you can actually clamp down on what they can do on that smartphone. And so to me, I think it's much more a process of, of just like a car, right? You have your learner's permit. And then if you, you know, get caught driving by yourself, well, you're going to be stuck here or you can't drive by yourself for longer. And I think in the same way, we should graduate that access to technology for, for young people. Today, healthcare providers face a daunting task of caring for the health and well-being of others because resources and staff are stretched thin. At Seracor, we provide healthcare IT services that help empower clinical staff, providers, and hospital operators to focus on what they do best, patient care. Seracor has a heritage rooted in our nation's top performing hospitals. With more than 30 years of experience, we partner with hospitals and health systems to become an extension of their technology team. Our clinical and technical professionals work with care locations to provide comprehensive IT and application support, technical professional and managed services, IT advisory services, and EHR consulting. Visit us at seracor.net. That's C-E-R-E-C-O-R-E.net to learn how we help tackle tough IT challenges. At Seracor, we know firsthand the power that integrated technology has on patient care and communities. That's why healthcare IT is the core of what we do. You know, you said something interesting when we weren't recording beforehand. We, we solved all these problems beforehand <laughs> when we weren't recording. But there's a misconception, you told me, that, that kids are, you know, there's so much worry from parents and, and their child's internet use. But there's a misconception that they're spending a lot more time on their smart devices than parents. And that's not the case. Right, right. Yeah. So I work with families. And one of the things that I've noticed and and what I do is I like record every screen in the house, what's happening on all those screens. And there's a great tool called Rescue Time that you can install on basically any device and it will track it. That's out of the box on iOS and, and Android devices. But on things like TVs, it can be a little more complicated or, you know, your laptop. But I've recorded and digested all of everyone in the whole families. I make parents do it because I think it's really important that we understand that very often parents are using tech. It, and, and I should say, I've yet to find a family in which the parents are spending less time on technology than the kids. Now, we rationalize it as adults. We say, oh, like I needed to check my email. But it's like, did you need to check your email at 8 p.m.? Like, no, you didn't. And so for, for a lot of folks, we have this kind of like double standard or like I'm the adult, so I get to do this. And that's part of life. But at the same time, I think we rush to worry about the kids. The other thing I will say about why kids matter so much is kids are developing habits that they will carry for the rest of their lives. Like you're, the amount of TV you watch as a five-year-old is predictive of obesity in adulthood. Like there is like real concrete evidence that the way you act when you're younger affects the way you act for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, so in I like that to think sense, of it as like, it's when the cement, this is not my image, but like yeah. it's the cement is wet and it's the time when the imprints are being right. made. Absolutely. And, and so to, to some extent, that's like a really stressful thought as a parent, Yeah, <laughs> like that's a, that's a heavy load to carry, but I would say the best way to carry it is to, is to kind of display for young people that this is something that you struggle with too. And here are the things, types of things you do. But I would say young people, if you give them space to be honest about their technology use, something like two thirds of young people have quit a social media platform. Wow. And it's because they have a big test coming up and they understand that this is keeping them from studying for their biology test or whatever it is. And then it, there was also a study from the UK that was basically like 62, 63% of the surveyed kids said they wouldn't care if social media hadn't been invented. Now, it's important wording because, because it's not like I don't care about social media. I want to get off of it. It's like they recognize that its intrinsic goods are not as good as their build to be. And so I think you actually don't get as much argument if you kind of come at it from a curious place mm -hmm. of, you know, why do you think that you need to keep watching television? Or what do you think is a normal amount of television? And once you start to get there, well, you know, we're kind of just figuring out what's going to work for our family. Yeah, yeah. And we can, we can start to get to, to make headway and make reasonable accommodations for each other. Um, just like you have to do in any family about any issue.
You know, it's interesting. I came into this conversation thinking, I want to ask him the question, is technology the devil? And, <laughs> and I think what I'm finding out is there is no easy answer. Yeah. I mean, okay. So like I have very strong feelings about that question because one of the things that's unfortunate is that social media and gaming, for example, have co-opted the word technology. Like technology is also why, like, I don't have to drive across town to get a medical record. Like, I love that. I'm not trying to drive across town. I'm not trying to burn gas. Like there are a thousand ways in which technology makes our lives better. It's specific types of technology, particularly when they've been built to get us to do certain things, which may or may not be in our best interest, that I really think it becomes a problem. It's a bad name. Yeah. And and the, the things that people get stuck on, it's never like, I'm never like, Oh, I've spent so much time on the Delta app, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like you spent time on TikTok, yeah. right? And it's, and it's because we get caught in this kind of trap of consumption, right? If you're interacting with technology and you're consuming, very often you need to be careful, right? There's just so much good content and it's endless. But when we use things as tools, it's very, very few and far between who's someone like, I just, you know, I was like, creating a word document and then i like shared it with some friends we were just collaborating through the night yeah like yeah. that doesn't happen yeah. right um and that's god and- i wrote twenty thousand words <laughs> my memoir's on its way yeah. right, exactly yeah we get distracted by the other things i have a question so this this podcast is and i don't know if you'll be able to answer it but um you know this podcast is for nurture the next nurture the next is oftentimes serving at-risk families they're trying to create safer environments, safer, healthier environments. A lot of what we're talking about technology in some ways to me could be first world problems a little bit, but is this something that like every family has phones? Is this something that is uh, affecting maybe lower income families as well? Does it not discriminate in that sense? Um, I don't know an enormous amount about this, but my, my armchair guesstimation would be you know, there was this period in which we talked about the digital divide, in which people who were underserved, poorer folks did not have access to the tech. Mm-hmm. And so based on some of the stuff I'm saying, it's like, oh, that's actually good. Right. Yeah. But it turns out, though, the types of things you're doing on your tech are different. And I think generally speaking, that folks in underserved communities get pulled in more directions. Right. Like imagine that you don't have a car. And so you have to ride the bus. The average bus ride from point A to point B in Nashville was like 86 minutes, right? That's different from 10 minutes, right? Which is how far in a car it is. Mm-hmm. So when you take all that time up and that's not even caring for, for children, right? The children need, I, th- I think when you have a new baby, it's something like 30 hours a week gone, right? And so you, you wonder like, where's this time going to go? How's it going to work? And so I think uh, the temptation is greater when you have less resources, when, for example, both parents have to be working, yeah. there's more of a temptation to park the child with with YouTube or park the child with um, the television because it's just effective and you're literally clawing just to just to make it to the next day and pay your bills. Yeah. So that's just what I would say. Generally, I th- I think those folks are are more vulnerable to the to the kind of what I would describe as the predatory algorithms of like, I will, I will get you to watch YouTube yeah. every time you pull out your phone. Those types of things are more effective when like your mom's not schlepping you to your violin lesson because your mom doesn't have a car and she doesn't have money to pay for the violin lesson. Mm-hmm. When you don't have those things, whereas when you, when you, once you're in your violin lesson, like your violin teacher won't let you get on your smartphone. Like there's, there are these built-in things that prevent the kind of wealthier, the upper class kids from being as distracted, I would argue. But again, I don't know an enormous amount about the stats around all of that. Let me ask you, Pete, you're, you're a new dad, your, your daughter's uh, three and a half. Do you worry about raising kids today? And, and I think when people ask that question, that it's usually like, oh, we're bringing him into a world where there's global warming and right, political right, right. unrest. It's like, no, are you worried about raising them in an environment where technology, social media, bad, bad technology is ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, I mean, uh, one of the things that I think is most, most scary and overwhelming is bullying, right? Like when I was in middle school, there was a kid in gym class who used to bully me. Right. And he would slap me on the back of the neck. But I knew that when I was at home, I was safe. I knew when I wasn't in gym class, I was safe. 
And when we, when we take all of their social interaction, put it online, they're never safe. Yeah. And so this is, this is kind of what you see young people saying. And that I think is scary and tragic, but I think it's, it's really, really on us as the parents to give, to cultivate a healthy environment for them. I do fear that not enough of us are going to do a good enough job at it. Right. Yeah. And I think I, that, this is a tall order. The things that we're the, the detangling we're doing here is not right. just, Hey, just do A, B, C, and D. Like, no, this is a, an undertaking. Yeah. In, in, yeah. In a sense. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think if you look at TV, you know, for us growing up, it's a similar dynamic, right? Like a lot of people were watching unhealthy amounts of TV. A lot of people to this day watch unhealthy amounts of TV. And that is a product of we we kind of got trained how to how to watch TV and then TV got really good right like the on demand stuff it's yeah. like and and it's on demand so you can watch it anytime and your friends have all seen it too so it becomes this social social thing and that's the same for young people um, not even necessarily talking about TV although certainly they watch TV but being on these platforms is where your social interactions can take place and so the the part for me that I find a little daunting is when I was a kid, my mom would like kick us out of the house and we'd ride our bicycle over to Charlie Sprinkle's house. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we'd knock on his door and hope he was home. And then if he wasn't there, we'd go over to John, John's house. Right. Yeah. And we would keep, he's actually your friends, Charlie Sprinkle. And yeah. John yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what John's last name was. I haven't seen him literally in 20 years, so, but Charlie Sprinkle, um, Charles Elwood Sprinkle the third, actually. Wow. Okay. Um, that sounds a lot more a legit than <laughs> old Sprinkle boy there. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and what I'm concerned about is that now you have a world in which like you can kick them out of your house, but they're the only ones standing in the cul-de-sac trying to ride their bike. Yeah. The other thing that really concerns me is, is just a, a slow burn of them understanding the tech, right? So they all can use it, right? They can, they, they grew up with it. A frightening thing is the image of a child right again with the child, but the, the image of a, as someone young doing the, doing the scrolling quickly with their hands, that's a, that's yeah, a yeah, scary, yeah. you know, swiping and that's a scary thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. So more than that though, what I fear is that they're all messaging each other over text-based channels, right? So there was a study from the university of Wisconsin, seven to 12 year old girls, and they took them and they stressed them out just because I know you're curious, um, they made them do math in front of other people. Yeah. <laughs> and the people were instructed that even if they got the correct answer, they were to react in no way. Yeah. <laughs> and so they stressed these girls out and then they put them into four different groups. Um, one group got mom in person to comfort them. The next group got a phone call from mom. The third group got text messages back and forth with mom. And the last group got no support from mom. And then they measured their uh, oxytocin levels, which is kind of your love connection hormone. And they measured their... Uh, their what's the stress hormone uh cortisol cortisol yeah they measured their cortisol levels and what they found is that a phone call looks just like mom in person and text messages look just like no support at all and so the big implication for young people today is that i think a lot of them are having legitimate mental health crises right Depression and, rates and they're more the willing roof, to yeah. talk about it that's great they're more willing to share what they're going through but very often in the midst of those crises they're reaching out to their friends via text they're keeping their friends up at night and their friends are texting them back and forth furiously to try and help them but it doesn't work you have to actually pick up the phone wow. you have to be vulnerable wow. you have to be able to hear that i'm crying on the other end otherwise you you just lack that deep connection and when you lack deep connections you have mental health problems and so that to me is the biggest piece is them missing the boat on some of those kind of fundamental understandings of how humans are wired. This is not stuff you can, you can fix by being born in 2021, right? Like your body evolved to live in these social groups and to in, ingest an enormous amount right. of money about money, <laughs> an enormous amount of information about how people around you feel about you. Right. And so you can read through the tea leaves of if somebody took down a post of a picture, their favorite picture with you or all of that. Um, but it'd be better if you were reading through the tea leaves of hearing them cry and saying, like, well, what hurt you about what I said? Or um, why did you tell that guy that I had a crush on him? <laughs> right. You have those interactions that I think are fundamental and help form who yeah. we become. Wow. I mean, this is just we could be talking for hours. This is leading <laughs> me to have so many questions. Why, what, just on text, I'm just curious for a second, like yeah, what yeah. was the original purpose when, for text, when text messages? Like why, I yeah, still, yeah. to this, I, I, you know, we all yeah. know why we love it, but we can't really right. articulate yeah, it. Yeah, I would say this is a thing that's so big, I think, is 
about tech. It's like this, this blindness to the human element. Right. We just like if you think about what texting is designed for, texting is great for me to send you an address. Right. Like if I talk like my four might sound like a 14 or something like that. There's all these ways in which it can get jumbled. But I can send you an actual like link to the GPS coordinates of the place that I need you to go at 4 p.m. Yes. Right. There's communicating details, facts, information is very, very great. And plus, I don't have to interrupt you. I don't want to, I don't want to stop what you're doing. I can text you the address and then you get it. So there's an obvious benefit. And most tech is like this. There's an obvious benefit, but then, you know, you get on a group text thread with 20 friends and you're like getting buzzed constantly of people being like, Oh, that's so cute. That picture is so cute. And I just don't need to be interrupted by that. Right. But it gets, it becomes a, a snowball where at some point I'm so distracted all the time, I can't get anything done. And I think that's the part where we have to kind of choose how can I do that? Am I able to mute, you know, can I go into settings and mute the vibration when I have a group text? Or is there no way to do that? And I just either have to live with it or I've got to quit texting. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, it's an interesting thing that's happened to me. I don't, I'm not going to articulate this well, but like to that, to that point of like not being able to think, I've noticed sometimes that I live my day on a brainwave that is constantly connected to my devices, to my phone, to my computer. And it's just one thing after another where, and then I'll take a walk during the day or I'll stop to eat. But I've noticed that there have been times where late at night or something, I'll finally just be like, or I'll be in bed and I'll be like, I need to consciously use a different part of my brain. I need to think right now. And the second I do that, I become exhausted. Like, and I don't know if this is a thing that's ever happened to you, but like, it's just like, I've been running on like energy of this part of my brain and of neglecting this other part of my brain. And it's only when I actually started to like use that part of my brain that it was like, Hey, we got to shut down. You know, is is that, you know, Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, my experience of what you're describing is there's like a difference between mental tiredness and physical tiredness, like physical tiredness. Oh, I love it. Right. You like worked out or you like did something that you didn't think you could do, or you just like, you went skiing and then you come back for the cabin. Yeah. And you're exhausted. It's such a sweet feeling. Yeah. And, but mental exhaustion is kind of like you stand up after like looking at your screen for like so long. You're just like, oh, like what even is yeah. anything? Yeah. Like I haven't even eaten. Like I, let me put my like food cartridge into mm-hmm. the food cartridge heating machine, right? For yeah. 20 minutes um, or actually for two minutes. And um, so you're and, not thinking. You know I mean? <laughs> exactly. But I would say there's a very good reason for this, which also taps into why technology is so distracting. We talked about like the content and such. It's just interesting stuff all the time. But there's another piece of it, which is the way in which we get distracted, the way in which we multitask. And so a lot of people have heard that multitasking is bad, right? It doesn't make sense. It's not efficient, so on and so forth. And a lot of the way we describe it is we say, you know, you're working on one thing and then you have to kind of load up the context for the next thing. And when you switch a lot, you have to load up the context a bunch of times. So it takes longer. Well, it turns out, so there's a professor named Gloria Mark at the University of California, Irvine, who, what she does for a living is look over people's shoulders, like with a stopwatch and like times what they're doing. And it turns out people who multitask more, they do not take longer to do things, but they do so with this like burnout kind of coefficient, which is like, they feel like they had to put forward more effort to get the same amount of work done. They feel more stressed. They feel more anxious as they're doing their work. And so I think this is a big piece when you look generationally and you see millennials change jobs like constantly. Why do they do that? It's because we burn out. And then if you look at Gen Z, same, same thing starting to emerge. They multitask so much that they're not able to stick with one thing. And so they burn out. It's not actually that you stopped loving, you know, marketing or whatever it is. It's that you didn't actually immerse yourself in it the way in which people in the past were immersed. And the research about why we do that is I think really, really helpful to understand, which comes from research of like foraging creatures. So like chipmunks. And they did all these studies about why do chipmunks decide to go from one tree to another tree? Because um, there's a risk involved right? You might get like snatched by an owl. And so um, the way they decide is based on two main factors, which is the distance between the trees. If it's far, you're less likely to risk it. And how many nuts are on the tree you're at, right? So if there are a lot of nuts, why go to it, why risk it and go to another tree? And so if you think about um, our technology, 
it lines up with this perfectly. And there's other research that has confirmed humans forage for information in the same way. And so if you think about how far is it from my TikTok app to my email, it's literally measured in milliseconds, right? Like I can get to it in milliseconds. And um, so the distance is short. And then how much information is on a given panel when I look at my smartphone? Very little information. They're just the titles of articles, right? It's not actually dense with information. And so when you kind of look at that, the our experience of the internet and technology is basically optimized for flitting between things as fast as possible. And so it's no surprise that the more time you spend with technology, the more distracted you become, the more you multitask. And so if you want to know, how do I stop doing that? Well, creating space between things. So maybe you have a laptop for work and a laptop for personal. And you don't, you know, you, you have an Amazon account on your personal thing, but you don't even log in on your on your work one. And that can help you separate, add some distance between the trees, so to speak. Or you can actually remove other distracting links from, from websites um, to try and make it more information rich. Like it's actually the article. It's not like other things that... Mm-hmm. You know, like I constantly almost click on things and it's just like, what? Like, I don't even, I don't listen to Ariana Grande, but like, I'm yeah. about to like learn something about her. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, and as much as you can kind of clear the clutter out, that's going to help you be yeah. less flitting between things. I'm experiencing a weird feeling right now as we sort of wrap up this conversation, which is like, I feel both better, more informed, enlightened, and also like, oh, I don't know, you know, where to start. Like, it's like when I read like a self-help book or something, you know, like getting things done or something. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah. this chapter was helpful. And then it's like, and how do I implement it now? You know, so Peter, are are there two things? One, you've mentioned so many great things in this conversation. Where can people that are listening go to find some of these things or resources online is question number one. And question number two is what are the main takeaways you would like for people, new parents who have listened to this episode? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the first thing I would say is, um, you can go to my website, digitaldetangler.com and you can sign up for my contact list. Um, or you can also just email me, which is Pete at digitaldetangler.com and any questions I'm happy to, to, also send, send you links. I have a PDF of like links to all the different tools that are out there. Another one that I almost mentioned, but didn't have time to is bark it, it, that sort of integrates with all your children's social media platforms. And then it kind of spies on them, but it doesn't send you everything. It only sends you things that are concerning so that you're not constantly going into their stuff. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of great, um, tips and ideas out there. So I'd be happy to send that to you. The main takeaway I would say is evaluating what you're doing on technology, if it lines up with your values, if it doesn't line up with your values, then you have a problem to solve, in my opinion. And I think the best way to solve that problem is to work on the environment, your digital environment, right? Get your get your internet so it cuts off each night, get your phone so it only lets you have X amount of time in the app that distracts you and keep working on your environment, but don't beat yourself up, right? This happens not because you personally and all the other people just like you just made personal choices to march down this road, right? It happened regardless of your opinion about it. And so figuring out how to work on your environment, like your phone is not going to complain that you set a limit on on your apps. Those are going to be the best ways to make lasting change. When, if you feel yourself gritting your teeth, or you're arguing with your kid every night about the tech, um, you want to implement some things so that it's just how things are. It's just, you know, we can talk about it on your birthday or we can talk about it whenever, but you want to build up a, a, an environment for yourself and for them that's predictable, that keeps you from going too far down rabbit holes and keeps you using the technology in the way you would would like to. Pete, this has been great. Yeah. Digital well, detangler. I, I had a good time. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to I Sleep Great, a non-parent's guide to parenting, sponsored by Nurture the Next and Saracor. To learn more, please visit nurturethenext.org and follow I Sleep Great on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.